So we're going to, as I said, spend time with a, a very familiar passage for most of us, for many of us. I have a passion for um, getting rid of religion. Religion is real stressful. It's hard to live with. Um, religion, do you know what religion is? Religion is, is trying to become acceptable to God by being your definition of holy. It's kind of going to church on Sunday and feeling guilty if I don't so that uh, I please God. It's very stressful. And uh, it's very um, unsatisfying. And so one of the things that uh, I think we see in Jesus all the time is an encouragement to just be authentic. But we find it really hard to be authentic because part of being authentic means I have to admit that I'm not as spiritual as I think I am or want to be. Uh, But the way of being authentic is saying, I'm not as spiritual as I want to be. Lord, help me. Because the way God works in life is He always attracts. Uh, He always... um, Revelation is when you see something and you respond. I often tell a story years ago of going up to Switzerland and going to the... seeing the Eiger for the first time. And the Eiger is this magnificent mountain uh, in the valley of Grindelwald. And when you, the, if there was fog, and then, and then the, the, uh, the fog cleared, and you see this mountain, you just go, it's amazing. Look at this mountain. This saw is up there. Now, the Eiger never, doesn't have an ego problem. It's not called the ego, it's called the Eiger. And the Eiger the doesn't need me to go, wow, look at that mountain. Similarly with the Grand Canyon, if you've been there, that's a spectacular place. It doesn't need me to go, wow, look at this Grand Canyon, isn't it amazing? And there aren't signs at the foot of the Eiger and there are not signs around the Grand Canyon that says, if you look at this, you will have to say, wow. You see, religion does that. Religion uh, has signs telling you how to respond, but very often the thing you're looking at is fogged over, so you don't really know what it looks like. And what I'm trying to say is that God doesn't have an ego problem either. He doesn't need us to worship Him. But when we see Him, Rather like the Eiger, you can't help yourself. You go, wow. And that's how God works. God is not trying to get us to to evoke some response so that he can go there. He's trying to say, if you can get a glimpse of what I'm trying to bring you into, you won't be able to help yourself. And so the prayer to pray or the cry of the heart is, Lord, help me to see. And that's what we're talking about today. And God doesn't beat you up because you're blind. He just says it's your lucky day because I can heal the blind. And so wherever we are today, Jesus comes to us and he says, I'm here for you. And if you're like me, you can spend a lot of your time saying, well, if Jesus was here today and he was coming up to me, I'd be going, oh shoot, I'm in trouble. And if Jesus was standing here and he called you by name and he said, I want you to come up to the front. You'd go, oh dear, he's going to expose something about me that's terrible. And of course he won't. He'll actually put his arm around you and boast about you and tell you things you didn't even know about yourself. That's who God is. And so one of our greatest transformations is about believing that God is for us, not against us, that he's good. But it has to be worked out. We impact each other. I think I'll show a video now, uh, if you don't mind, uh, Toy. Just showing, just showing it. It's just a simple video called Strangers. Isn't that cool? You never know, you never know, you never know. 
You never know what leads to one leads to another. You never know. I will guarantee one thing, that people will see Jesus in you when you least expect it. And the more self-conscious you are about being Jesus to people, the more you'll probably get in the way. Authentic is about just being real. It's about sharing what you're not and what you are and seeing what happens. And we're going to look at the scripture today and I hope you're encouraged by it as I am encouraged. And I always find coming back to these passages I begin to see things I haven't seen before. And so Mark 10 is where we're going to be and it's about uh, this blind Bartimaeus. But uh, it's a story about faith and it's a story about a, a, a muddy, messy situation in which Bartimaeus shines like a diamond Um, but it has a context and I want to just remind us of the context because it's so easy. One of the things you never want to do is you don't want to take one verse out of the Bible and start quoting it without being aware that it has a context. The Bible needs to interpret the Bible. It's always dangerous to just go one verse. Those verses are important to remember and to take as promises, but just be aware. Um, And so I'm coming back to this whole thing of us being authentic and God working with real people. And the people in the Bible are really, really like us. And I'll show you why and how. In Mark 10, um, Jesus is beginning to travel up to Jerusalem. And as he travels, people gather around him and they start wanting, you know, his autograph and they want his attention. And he's got his disciples around him who are the kind of inner circle. And they still, you know, they've been with Jesus maybe two years, maybe not even that at this point. And and they're still rough diamonds themselves. You see, Jesus calls us to himself before we are ready. It's why we say we need a saviour. He doesn't say scrub yourself up and when you're presentable, come to me because you'll never be presentable, so don't bother. People say, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. You're not bad enough to not be one. You know, uh, and no matter how good you think you are, you're way off what God has for you. So there's a point where you just give o- get, get over ourselves in terms of whether we're good or bad enough. We just need to be open enough and desperate enough maybe or come to that revelation, I need help. I'm not all that I would like to be. And so these disciples are traveling with Jesus and uh, in Mark 10 verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And guess what? The disciples rebuked them. This is the first one. They rebuked them. Why? Stop wasting his time with the kids. And Jesus' response to them when he saw this, he was indignant, which is actually quite strong. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. We could go into a whole thing of that. Could be a, uh, could be a passage to say it's not bad to have child baptism before they understand, but I won't go down that road today. I love that road, by the way, because it's all about grace. It's all about God actually choosing you before you choose Him. But let's leave that one. Then you have a rich man. And these are people coming to Jesus from all corners. 
And the rich man, Jesus starts on his way and this rich man comes before him and he falls on his knees and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he says to him, uh, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. uh, You shall not defraud. You should honor your father and mother. And he says, Teacher, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. And in most cultures, they would say, that's great, you are spiritual. And Jesus, I mean, if I said this to somebody, I would be kicked out and told I was offensive, believe it or not. I would be told I'd be rude. I was told, I'd be told I'd be discouraging. I'd be told he could actually benefit the church and you're just kicking him out. So Jesus says to him, with great sympathy and great compassion, he looks at him and he says, the one thing you lack, sell all you have and follow me. And the man who kept all those commandments, you see, Jesus hadn't said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, love one another as yourself. He didn't mention that in his quote. He says, the one thing you lack is you actually love your money. So lay it down. And the guy goes off. He can't do it at that point. We don't know what happened. But Jesus basically, in being authentic, says to him, I actually don't, need you to follow me on your terms. I'm calling you to, I have laid down everything for you. And so the man goes off and he goes off sad and the disciples are are confused and they go, well, how can anybody follow you? And they witnessed this this conversation and they shook their hands. The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because the more you have, the more you have to let go. You see, the risk of letting go, God often will say, let it go, and then I'll give it back to you. He just says, it's now all mine, just so you know. Because he's wanting our hearts to be empty and open, and it's not easy for us. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who can be saved? And he said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And that's important to understand that God is for us and he knows the things that we struggle with. We just need to be able to say, God, I don't know how to let go of all of that. But I want to. That's being authentic. It's not walking away going, well, I can't do that. It's walking away going, Lord, I can't do that, but I want to do that. And God will sound so glad because I can help you. And one of the things that God will help us become because we have these quotes, you know, the, the, you come across the quote, iron sharpens iron, and it's, it's really cool. But iron sharpening iron is quite violent. And most of the ways that God is going to answer our prayers and is going to actually draw us into a greater level of authenticity is he's going to involve us in community where we have to deal with one another and people. And all I'm talking about this morning is God working with people. Because There's a part of us that wants to be private and we want to go away and say, God, it's you and me. You work in me. Make me whole. Make me pure. Make me this. Make me that. And he kind of goes, I I can't do that like that. I can only do it as you walk along a road with me with other people. And when you bump into other people, you bump into circumstances, the stuff in you that shouldn't be in you will surface. And then I'm going to help you deal with that. And then you're going to be transformed. And you might not even realize you're being transformed because you're so involved in the life. But you will be. I promise you. I don't want you to be religious. I want you to be relational. 
and I want you to trust me and I want you to walk with me in the company of others. And in the company of others who really irritate you. In the company of others who don't always bless you or appreciate you or, or for you. I want you to be in the company of people of all shapes and sizes. Because I'm going to teach you through that what's in you and also what's in them. And so you see these disciples working this out as they walk with Jesus. He doesn't actually just talk to them on a mountain and then they get it. He lives with them in the mountains and the valleys and the rivers and everywhere else and he works it out with them as he walks it out with them. And so they have these moments of just, I don't get it. Do you ever have moments of that? I I, I don't get it. Trouble with us when we don't get it is we leave. I'm going to another church. I don't get it. Rather than understanding the I don't get it moments or the exact moments God is actually allowing you to go through so that you grow up. And instead of retreating, he, he just says, stay the course. Don't get so uptight and so offended. Actually, begin to talk to me about what is getting you so uptight. If you want to grow in walking with Jesus so that you become mature, stop being offended. Stop being so precious. Stop being so opinionated. Have a, have a sense of humor about yourself. Just because you're offended doesn't mean it's wrong. It might mean God's saying, you're pretty insecure, aren't you? When you get so upset about this, why? Well, I'm feeling uncomfortable. So? I can tell you, I could stand here all morning talking about my uncomfortable moments that were terrifying. I'll tell you one that goes back a long time. When I, I had said to Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to lay down my life and I was, going to get, I was getting ready to go to England to, do minist- to, to go to college. And I had said to the Lord, I feel in the circumstance I was in, I feel like I'm not getting used. And so somebody said, I want you to come and help lead worship. We're doing a renewal uh, week. Uh, up, this was in South Africa, up in Durban, which is a thousand miles away from where I live. And I knew as soon as I was asked that, that God was actually dealing with something in me. And everything in me didn't want to go. And I got a boil on my knee for the first time in my life and the only time in my life. And it was really embarrassing because we went to the, the host's house for dinner and it was quite warm. And I had, a, I think, a beer and a glass of wine and I got up to leave the table and collapsed because the antibiotics where I was on was uh, interacting with the wine and uh, it was quite funny. Anyway... And I said to the guy who was leading this mission, I said, I'm, he said, I'm going to give a talk and then I'm going to invite people to come up to the front and you're going to pray for them. And I said, I don't do that. I'll play the guitar and I'll lead a few songs, but that's as far as I'm going. And my response that I received 35 or 40 years ago, it was actually, I'll tell you when it was, it was 1977, before some of you were born. Yeah, I know, I'm... I'm 65 in two weeks. It's amazing. Um, depressing, actually. Anyway, it's... Uh, thank you. There's somebody in denial. I'll join your club, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a... And they... And they so, so the response I got to, this is not me, I'm not doing this, was, Jesus, we just bless you for John and we just pray that you use him. Amen. There was no sympathy, there was no conversation, there was no arguing. Um, it was just the leader said, that's what you're doing. So the first night we had this mission and 
I led a few songs and then he, he gave his talk and at the end he called people up and I was praying, Lord, let nobody come, please. I was terrified and I couldn't back out so I had to go up and some poor guy I went to talk to and I felt so sorry for him because every word I had was like lead and I felt this was the most uninspiring ministry I could imagine and I, I just felt sorry for him that he got me. And we went off and I went home and I, it was like, oh my word, that was so flat and so depressing and so, oh, I hate this. The next night the same thing happened and there was this woman that I had to talk to. And uh, I sat next to her and she was quite uptight and uh, I remember saying to her, you know, God gives the gift of tongues because sometimes that releases stuff that we don't know how to articulate. Uh, I'll ask somebody to pray for you. So the leader happened to, he was, he was actually the Archbishop of Cape Town, a guy, a wonderful guy called Bill Burnett. And, uh, and he happened to be walking down the aisle and I said, Bill, do you, could you pray for her please? And he sort of smiled and said yes. And he sat next to her and she sat here and I sat next to her. And uh, I wasn't going to pray because, you know, I'm not, I don't do that. It's way too full uh, aware of myself. Um, genuinely, authentically, but terrified. And Bill started to talk to her and said, you know, God gives this gift and he might give it now, he might give it on your way home or whatever, don't worry about it. Very, very disarming, very relaxed. And then he prayed for her and he prayed over her and my, you know, my hand was on this and sort of praying, but God was just speaking to me and he spoke to me so, so clearly and so gently. And he just said, John, if you pray for healing who gets the, and somebody gets healed, who gets the glory? Well, you do, God. And he said, um, you think that if you pray for this woman, I'm not going to hear her and it's only going to be Bill, the archbishop. If he prays, then it's going to happen. And I kind of go, sort of. And he just said, John, it doesn't work like that. Just bring people to me. And leave them with me. Don't worry about the answer. And it, was, it was like somebody had just lifted this big weight off me. And for the rest of that week, you want prayer, I'll pray for you. I go back home and tongues is quite controversial and I was in a group with some friends. One was a cynical little medical student who was one of my best friends, but man, he was cynical. He was smart and cynical. And another guy was Richard who ran a youth group with me. And uh, I was telling them about this and Richard said, oh, I'd like to pray in tongues. And I go, oh, shoot. So I say, well, all right, because I'm, I'm not quite, I'm a little bit more bold. And, I, and so William's sitting here and, and Richard's sitting here and I lay hands on Richard and I say, Lord, and I've never spoken in tongues before in my life in, in, in front of anybody. And that's another whole story. And uh, anyway, I say, Lord, I, I just want to pray for you to, to, to fill Richard and to pour out the gift of tongues over him. And if there's anything else you want to do, we just ask you to do that. And then I jump off the cliff and start praying in tongues. And it feels like I am totally as stupid. And before I know it, William, the cynical friend, is praying in tongues. I go, whoa. <laughs> and God just said to me, John, I told you. But I couldn't get there without going through the fear and I needed people to help me go through the fear. And pretty much everything I do now 
speaking in front of people was terrifying. At the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. I would never have done that because it was terrifying because what happens if nobody responds? I don't care anymore. Well, all I want to encourage you with through my story and what I'm saying now is for God's sake, don't let fear and your lack of experience thus far stop you from the journey. Don't give authority to fear and inadequacy because you will get so stunted, God will never, ever, ever make you bold in a closet on your own. You just won't. You will never become good at ministry on your own. You will never become good at anything with other people without being willing to be silly and to look stupid. And one of the easiest ways to deal with that is merely to say, I'm feeling really stupid right now. I'm feeling really insecure, but we're going to go for it anyway. It's much harder pretending I know what I'm doing. It's much easier to say, I trust Jesus. I haven't done this well before, so just you know, humor me, but we'll go to him together. Everybody can do that. And these disciples were wrestling with who Jesus was saying he was. And they were getting it wrong and they were coming up again and again the wrong side of the answer. So they've already told the little kids not to go away. They've, seen the, they've told the kids to come and Jesus has told the rich man to go. Well, the rich man's gone because Jesus told him something he didn't like to hear. Do you think Jesus is... Some of us think everything Jesus is going to say to us is going to be horrible and we're going to be leaving. And others of us think Jesus is only going to say good things and there's never going to be a challenge. It's both. It's relational. It's growing us up. And so these disciples, I mean, look, another, another place you can see this, and I'm just going to go through it quickly. Just remember that verse, with man this is impossible, with God everything's possible. What God's saying to you is, if you stick to your own strength and resources, everything will always be impossible. If you bring your impossibility to me, watch something transform and what you thought you'd never do, you'll start doing. It's just how I work. So the disciples, in, in, you know, there's a phrase also just uh, in Mark 10, we're going to get to Bartimaeus, uh, where the, the disciples had three conversations, or Jesus had three conversations with the disciples about his crucifixion or him going to face death. And the third one is in Mark 10 where they say they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. There was not a lot of great peace at this moment because Jesus has disturbed the status quo, the religious stuff and their paradigms. If, if the God you worship never disturbs you, never destroys your paradigms, I bet you that God is built in your image. The God who is the, the God of the universe, the only thing I'm absolutely certain of is I'm not going to get it. And I'm going to get scared at times and frightened at times and I'm going to have questions that are unanswered at times. And so these disciples were struggling with this because this person who they had poured out their hearts to and said yes to is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. And they're going, how is that possible? You're meant to be the Savior. Well, they don't even know what Savior means at this point, but you're somebody we've invested in and now you're going to leave me alone. And the lady is going to say, it's good for me to leave you alone because otherwise the other one can come and they haven't got a clue what he's talking about. And in the end, he just goes, trust me. And they go, I don't know how to do that. And they all run away at the cross. And Peter even denies him. And all the mess they get themselves into trying to follow God and make sense of Jesus, God actually embraces and says, I'll work this out with you. 
God will never, ever let you go. But if you work it out with Him, you will come to a place where something will connect with your spirit in a way that begins to go, I'm now beginning to get it. But you can't get there if you don't wrestle. You can't get there if you're not authentic. You can't get there if you're pretending. The most disarming and easiest people to deal with are those who just say it as they are and they question where they are and they question and they give permission to ask questions. It's so easy to work with that and walk with that. The hardest people are those who never reveal who they are, what their struggles are, and you go, I just can't even walk with you because I don't even know. I mean, you're not like me. I need a little bit of help, encouragement. So, these guys were, were, uh, were hearing Jesus. He says this, They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. Then James and John came to the sons of Ze- the sons of Zebedee, came to him, said, "Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you?" He asked. "We want one of us to sit at your right and the other on your left in glory." I mean, can you hear the insensitivity of that question just after what he shared with them? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to die. I'm going to be beaten cruelly. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. And James and John says, "Too bad." But when you get to heaven, can, you, can we have the best positions? And Jesus said, well, it's not mine to give you. But thanks for the empathy. Uh, thanks for caring about where, where I'm going. They couldn't see where Jesus was going for their own stuff was right there. We want to be the most important. And the other disciples were indignant. And this had happened twice before already. In Mark chapter 8, 31, Jesus told them, the Son of Man must suffer. And Peter took him aside and said, I don't think that's a good idea. You remember? And and Jesus turns around to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter is saying something that Jesus is battling with. Like, I don't want to go there either, but Peter, I don't need you to try and reinforce what I don't want to do. And then he tells them again, uh, a little bit later, just between those two, the, the, the second time, In Mark 9, he talks about the Son of Man must be killed and rise after three days, and they did not understand. And he said to the disciples, what are you talking about together? And they said, we're talking about who's going to be the greatest. So three times Jesus talks about his suffering, and three times they are totally insensitive to what he's actually talking about. And they totally miss it, and they're totally involved in themselves, their status, their understanding, whatever. Be encouraged. They are like us. And Jesus used them to change the world. But they had to walk through stuff with him to get to the place where they were bold enough. So the question Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? We want to sit at your right hand. We want the most important place. And he says, I don't think you can do that. It's not mine to give. And then the other disciples were were pretty ticked off because they said, why are you two looking for the best spot? And against that backdrop, you come to Bartimaeus. And they're on the road. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, which means um, one who is highly valued. Timaeus, highly valued. So you get one of the cool things and the authentic things I think about the Bible is if I were the disciples and I was uh, probably Peter who wrote Mark or he, he recited Mark because he couldn't read or write. What do they do is they actually place themselves where they don't look that great. 
If I was Peter reciting, I might have left these parts out. That made me look bad. But they're all in there. And so Bartimaeus is sitting on the fringe of the road. He's been blind probably all his life. He's the son of Timaeus, which means the son of highly valued. The irony, of course, is someone who is highly valued is sitting on the fringe as blind. You see, there's always two names for people. The one is their present moment where they actually usually are less than what God has created them to be. And there's another name that God actually breathes over them and says, you are highly valued. You have a name over you and part of it is highly valued. Well, I don't feel highly valued. No, you probably don't. Not yet. The identity that God has for you is highly valued. But even to get to the revelation of highly valued is a journey. So what happens here? Bartimaeus Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. That was his life. Get a few coins to buy something and that was it. If God wants you to see, he'll have Jesus stop right next to you. If God wants you to see, uh, somebody will take you up to be in front of Jesus. That's how many of us pray. If it's God's will for me to be healed, Jesus will have a word of knowledge as he walks past and say, there's a blind man called Bartimaeus and I, I need to see him. How many of us operate like that? It's this fatalism, which is actually nonsense, which raises the stakes to rejection five times. Of course, there are testimonies where God does that. But Bartimaeus is one whose life is blind and begging and he hears that Jesus is coming. He doesn't know a lot about him. He's told by the crowd, Jesus of Nazareth is coming and he calls out Jesus, son of David. He is at a place where he's got nothing to lose. So he doesn't wait for the word of knowledge and he doesn't wait for the invitation. He just says, Jesus, son of David! And the Christians, let's pretend they are, disciples go, shut up. He doesn't have time for you. You stink. Anyway, we're in line. And I've got stuff I want from him before you're getting in line. So they tell him to shut up. And Bartimaeus has got some courage and some desperation. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me got nothing to lose. Jesus is right here. This is his only opportunity maybe ever. And he jumps in. And Jesus stops. And he says, call him. And the very ones have just said, shut up, keep quiet, go, cheer up. Why do they say cheer up to him? Because being rejected for something you're desperate for is not fun. When you give everything to say, please help me, and you get a negative or a cold shoulder, it's not fun. Because he goes, there is no hope. Because all I can do is cry out, and even my cry is not heard, because all these people are in the way, and I cannot get there. It's like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, and she presses through the crowd and touches Jesus' hem while everybody else is touching Jesus, but Jesus recognizes the touch of desperation, and he stops and he says, who touched me? And they go, everybody touching you. And he says, no, somebody touched me. It was different. What if you could have the assurance that the cries of your heart God hears? Because he's got really good hearing. And he says, tell him to come to me. On your feet, he's calling you. And he throws off his cloak. 
And many commentators would say, you know, the cloak represents everything he trusted in. It was all he had. And in a sense, when he felt the call of Jesus, he said, I'm in. He wasn't like the rich young man. All he had was his cloak into which people could put a few coins. And he threw it aside and said, here I am. There was no holding back. Ask yourself, when you say yes to Jesus, what are you holding on behind your back? What do you, what's your plan B? Many of us are stuck because we, we actually hold on to our plan B much more than we hold on to Jesus. Makes sense. It's logical. Except the thoughts of God are not our thoughts and our ways aren't His ways, which make cool bumper stickers, but it's more difficult to live. We have to learn how to, in a sense, enjoy this arm wrestle we have with God. That we end up calling faith, but we have to work to take the next step, whatever that is. It will be different for different people. And Bartimaeus jumps up and he's led to Jesus. And the echoes of these other encounters are there. Because what does Jesus do? He says the same question as he says to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus could have said, I thought you were a wise man. I'm blind, can't you see? Or he could have said, Lord, if it's your will, help me to see. Or he could have said, Lord, can you just provide some shelter for me so I can live the rest of my days with some comfort in my blindness? No, he just went straight to the jugular of his need and he said, I want to see. And Jesus just says to him, your faith has healed you. Eyes open, he sees Jesus. How cool is that? This filthy beggar has become the center of attention in the middle of the road. And, they, and it says now he followed Jesus. Didn't go and pick up his cloak. That's the God that we're meant to be excited about and passionate about. Do you think Bartimaeus walked down that road looking miserable? Do you think the next blind person he saw, he might have said, hey, come and see. Do you get the irony that the disciples at that point probably were more blind than Bartimaeus was as he was healed? That what Bartimaeus discovered in his healing was a, a revelation that the disciples were still getting about the goodness of God? the power of God, the love of Jesus. See, this is a story. It's not just about Bartimaeus. It's about the whole crowd around Jesus. And I want to suggest two areas. If you were to come up to the front right now and I was to ask you, so tell, tell us about your relationship with Jesus. Where, where are you kind of tight? Where are you strong? You'd be on that road with Jesus walking with him. And the question to consider for ourselves, and this is not about being guilty, it's just about being aware. Uh, the question we might have and we can answer as a church together as well as individuals is, how do we respond to the cries of those on the fringes along the way? Which are never convenient, by the way. They never actually expected and they never rehearsed and they never when it, we're ready for it or we're up for it. How do we respond when there's a voice that's crying out for help? 
Is our response not now? Leave him alone. And at that video, should how many people who have been praying for God and crying out for God have been stopped by our response? Because God answers the cries of most people's hearts through other people. We can't opt out and say we're not responsible. We can't opt out and say, I'm a member of the invisible church and the worldwide church of God and God will do what God will do. There's a whole message in this passage about God says, I want you to be the ones who reach out. I want you to be the ones who bring people to me. I want you to be the ones who hear the cry. So what happens with those who come in earshot of you? And they're actually crying out for healing and they're crying out for Jesus and they get put off by you. Because, it, because it's, you're too embarrassed or you're too busy or you couldn't be bothered or I've already judged you and I don't like you and you and you and you and we all do it. But we won't stop doing it unless we begin to consider that maybe I need some transformation in my attitude. And I guarantee you that all of us, or most of us, there's parts of our lives that are really good and we're walking close to Jesus in the middle of the road. And the other aspect of this is what do you do with those parts of your life that are like Bartimaeus before he's healed? In other words, the weak parts, the blind part, the filthy part, the embarrassing part. What do you do with that? Because some of us, we're, part of us is always walking down the middle of the road with Jesus and there's part of us that's on the fringe. That's the part that he's still working on. Do we give up? Are there parts of you that you've given up on and you've just decided, I'll never get over this, I'll never conquer this, I never will get better? And so you just beg on the side of the road of your life with a whole secret side of it. And you think Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you and you cry out, and nothing happens. And then Jesus brings you a friend or two and you don't want to share it because you're too proud and you go, Jesus, when are you going to answer me? And he says, I gave you Bill. But you wouldn't talk to him. And when you talk to Bill, Bill is going to, because I placed it in his heart, say, let's go to Jesus and let's begin to work this out. Because everybody with their secrets on the fringe feels ashamed. They feel weak. They feel hopeless. I guarantee if we walk through every person in this, every person here has a shame and a secret. And you might not even know what it is. I'm not trying to put it on you. I'm just saying you're human and you're not Jesus, so you have. We're all a work in progress. That's what causes humility to rise in us when we know the truth of both ends. And the good news is, Jesus says to you and to me today, and he says it every day, call him, call her. Come to me. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you today? See, the, the, one of the things we're trying to do at Jericho Road is root this in life. It's great to have a Bible study about Bartimaeus. It's great to have a Bible study about how Jesus called him and how he healed him. And then you go, so what? What's the point of us sitting here this morning listening to that word? Well, it's a nice word. I feel very happy for Bartimaeus. 
And, and it's cool that the disciples are so like me. So, what difference does that make to your life and my life? I guarantee you some of you, are, your hearts are pounding now. Because the part like me that you're most afraid of is the encounter. The part like me you're most afraid of is if you need healing for something, come up to the front. If you're sitting on the fringe and you have a cry of your heart, come up to the front. Let's meet Jesus. And yet that's what Bartimaeus had to do. That's what the disciples had to do. There was a point of going, are you more desperate for something from Jesus than you are for your pride? This is not about manipulation. It's about actually, why does God put it in the scriptures and why do we talk about it if it's not for us to actually respond and be encouraged by and be told everyone is welcome, he's calling everyone and he actually wants to help us with what we think is impossible. With man this is impossible. In my life there are things that seem impossible but with God it is possible. And I will never know what God's possibilities are if I never bring to him my impossibilities. And we will never be able to see one another grow if we don't bring one another to Jesus in love and in safety without condemnation and say, he wants to see you this morning because he wants to bless you. He's not angry with you. He wants to encourage you. So 45 years ago or 40 years ago, I would have just prayed a prayer and said, let's go home now. But now I'm going to say, if you need healing, come up to the front. And if you have a cry of your heart, that's, and you're not going to get embarrassed. And this is for you, not for me. And if you are struggling with something like Bartimaeus, you're on the fringes and you're blind, you don't get it, you don't understand, you don't see your way through, uh, then you come up to the front. Because we're just going to pray for God's Spirit to meet us where we are and pray for His healing and pray for His encouragement. But I think it's important that we get up and get into the road. So, now's your chance. This is fun. <laughs>